it's this interesting feeling of relief, but also an urgency of we've got more work to do. And that's frankly why these elections are so important, because it can all be undone with the stroke of a pen if the election doesn't go the right way. Welcome to How We Win. All over this country of ours, people are doing extraordinary things. We're giving you the tools that you need to make a difference right this minute. We don't agonize, we organize here. We've won some battles, but we still have more work to do. It is our 100th episode. (laughs) We're going to talk about what we've learned from 100 interviews and 100 reasons for hope. I'm, I'm getting for clubs. I'm, I'm, I, I have this overwhelming feeling of nostalgia. Um, we're also going to talk state houses with Virginia State Senator Jennifer McClellan. She talks about what it was like trying to legislate under Republican control, what it's been like since we gained the Democratic trifecta, and why it's so important that we hold on to that majority there this November. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Mariah Craven. And, and this, this is How, how We Win. Episode 100. Keep so, it at 100. That's a lot of epis we've we've put out to the world. We've had so many amazing people. I, I feel so blessed to be able to do this show and hear from all of our incredible guests, including uh, an incredible interview with Senator McClellan that, uh, that I can't wait for people to hear. It is yeah. so timely. We talk about state houses and uh, and you and I are going to talk about what we've learned from 100 episodes, but I'll, I'll right. throw one quick lesson. Uh, it's all about the state houses. It's all about acting locally. That's what I've really learned. I mean, that's uh, certainly we're seeing the effects of Republican control on state houses right now uh, with what's happening in your state of Texas and other Republican held states across the country. But it's just all about the state houses. So we're going to hear from her and the great work they've been doing in Virginia. That's right. But before we get to that interview and before we get to our reflections, uh, just kind of a few big headlines that are top of mind. The Texas abortion bill, I think everyone is talking about rightly so, truly awful, sinister, mm. evil. If, if Republicans were cartoon villains and were twirling their mustaches somewhere, this is the plan that they would come up with to punish people who help women and girls um, obtain abortions, as well as to drastically limit the the rules of getting an abortion to the point of unconstitutionality, um, to the point where they would be for forcing women who are, are raped or are the victims of incest to carry a baby to term. We were recording our podcast last week, and often we record Tuesday mornings. And this was one of those where this all broke after we'd already recorded. And uh, and mm-hmm. really, I was grateful we, we got to guest host um, the Daily Beans. So I was glad we had an opportunity to talk a little bit about it on on their show. But this doesn't just highlight the horrible Republican-led legislatures and, and, and the the depths of depravity that they're willing to go to for, you know, I don't know what their end game is there, but it's Roe v. Wade. That's their end game. But, right, uh, exactly. but, but the, um, 
the Supreme Court's lack of intervention there was also uh, deeply, deeply troubling, <laughs> to say the least. And, um, you know, we're now seeing uh, Merrick Garland say that he's going to protect women's rights and fight it with everything that he has access to. But of course, the Roe v. Wade needs to be codified. It needs to be codified by Congress and protected because we have a Supreme Court that uh, is looking like they won't protect it. And it's very, very scary. Um, it is scary. Like you said, the end game really is Roe versus Wade. And the evilness of, about this bill that passed in Texas is that it's written in a way that makes it much harder to fight. And so other states are taking note uh, to see if they can replicated. And, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm in Austin. There is um, a lot of, there already was a, a big organizing effort to fight this um, and to protect reproductive rights in Texas. It's actually the, the, you know, the first thing that brought me to Texas years ago, then I left and I'm, I'm recently back. Um, and this timing is just awful. But I just want to let people know that there are people who've been here on the ground for decades doing this work. They have been joined by an influx of new people for whom this was a wake-up call. And there are actions that are in the works and already underway to fight this. And I just, uh, God, I'm so angry. Mm -hmm. I, I, I was in a store the other day, a little market, and the cashier had to ask this guy who came in to to put on a face mask. And she said, I have free ones if you want one. And of course he refused and put up a big fuss and, mm. you know, hollered about it and then walked out. And I wanted to scream at him. You don't want anybody telling you to even put on a face mask to protect the people around you and yourself. And men like you are trying to tell women what to do with their bodies. Right. And I, I'm going to, I'm going to lose it. I'm going to lose it one of these days. And I, I don't only, blame you. I'm, I'm very close to the edge. Um, and, but, but that Hold means on. that I'm fired Hold up. Hold on to the edge. Stay fired I'm, up. <laughs> I'm fired up and, and ready to do the work. You so. said that you came to Texas, um, to do this work to, uh, initially. You, were you working on women's reproductive rights or? I, so I saw Wendy Davis, who was a state senator oh, right. who back in 2013, um, uh, did a filibuster to protect abortion rights and like stood and talked for, I, I don't like two days, um, hmm. and then decided to run for governor. And I remember that was, watching, that was, that's a filibuster you actually have to do as opposed to just sending out an email, which is what they do in Congress now. Anyway, sorry. No, you actually have to stand. You can't lean on anything. You can't go to the bathroom. Um, you can't veer off subject. It's really hard mm -hmm. uh, to do. And and it was, I think, her second time doing it. Wow. Um, so I remember what, it was one of like the first big political live streams um, that was going on. And I watched it. I was in D.C. at the time. I watched it late into the night. And I said, I have to go help that woman. And all the people who were in the Capitol Rotunda who when uh, her when she could no longer stand up and mm. had to and had to um, and was you know dinged for the final time um, for breaking the rules of the filibuster, uh, hundreds of women in the Capitol Rotunda in Austin screamed so loudly that they couldn't proceed 
with the vote and it was and they made it like they took it past midnight and you know then entered some procedural thing and i said i'm going to go help those people and you know a few months later wendy announced that she's running for governor and i'm headed for texas to help out with that effort and that's why i say we you know we lost that race that campaign but here in texas you lose but you also gain ground right and you know, that's what we, t- we talked a lot last year about the possibility of Texas going purple um, day like weeks like this one make it feel like that's less possible, but more important than ever. Absolutely. You've got to fight in every election and you're just building and gaining ground. That's what we saw in Virginia. We're going to be exactly. talking about Virginia, but obviously that's what we saw in Georgia as well. You know, and, um, you know, we got pretty darn close in Texas um, in the last election, too. We we really made gained some ground there. So there was an article about Republican victories across the country in these mm-hmm. state houses. Um Washington Post, new laws took effect last week in Texas that make it easier to openly carry a handgun and nearly impossible to seek an abortion procedure after six weeks of pregnancy. On the governor's desk, actually, Abbott just signed this into law as we're recording, Mm -hmm. uh, is a measure that would dramatically limit options for voting. Mm -hmm. All of them are Republican wins that cap off a banner to 2021 for down-ballot conservatives. Mm -hmm. This year alone, 17 states have increased voting restrictions that are expected to hit Democratic constituencies more critically. Republican governors in several states have also had success in undermining President Biden's efforts to require masks for schoolchildren and others in an effort to limit the spread of the coronavirus. So this article really makes stark how important it is that we fight locally. And and it's something that has been a theme of this show and how we win. And we're going to talk more in our interview with Senator McClellan about that too and how we do that in Virginia. I think the other big thing that's top of mind is that we're approaching the the 20th anniversary of the September 11th terror attacks. And it's a strange moment. Um, The the Taliban is now governing Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. We are, um, the military is completely out, although there are a handful of, of U.S. citizens still there trying to get out. And, you know, I think every every year i'm i'm sort of stunned by the number of young people who don't remember right. 9/11 yes aren't even people on... who serve who have served over there who weren't yeah. alive for 9/11 yeah and and for me um you know i was i was in college at the time and i had i had actually just moved back to boston from i'd been living in new york all summer i'd moved back a couple of weeks before 9/11 and um it's just such like a a turning point in in my life when yeah. you know a big it's signi- it's one of the things that signified a, a big change and now we're on the other side of that um where um you know it's it's time to act mm-hmm. on on these things i you know i think about 9/11 i think i'm thinking about climate change we've kind of reached an inflection point on that i'm thinking about like gun safety because you know columbine was just a few years before that and yeah um, so these these major things feel like they and i'm sure like every generation has has these moments where you know history changes and then you're in shock and then you reach the point where okay now now we have to act um well are we we, doing 
I couldn't agree more. And we have to act right now because yes. we are actually in power right now. Um, yes. And it's tenuous. We have some, you know, <clears throat> few senators who aren't being very helpful. But uh, when we see voting rights under attack, when we see mm -hmm. uh, women's rights to have control over their own bodies under attack, you know, when we see guns, like you just said, ma making it easier for people to have guns, not harder to have guns when uh, shootings have been on the rise and continue to be a problem. All of this, we need to get rid of the filibuster and mm -hmm. be bold in our leadership as Democrats and actually make change while we are in power. Um, and, uh, you know, we have some great legislation coming up, some very transformative. Uh, this reconciliation bill is going to be one of the biggest social safety net packages right. and really, uh, really be transformative, you know, uh, hopefully lead to some generational uh, change in our country. Uh, but again, we have to be bold in our approach to governing right now because we have on the other side of the aisle these Republicans who are willing to do anything to subvert the will of voters. Uh, and it seems like they're, they willfully want to hurt people because that's what their actions are doing. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm excited for people to hear this interview with Senator McClellan coming up because she does talk about this when you're at a historic moment, when your party has power you can you can go one of two ways you can <laughs> you can do for example what the segregationists and jim crow folks did or you can go in the opposite direction and create social programs that that help all people and we're there now um this yeah. is a, a once in a generation moment so let's do the work to make the make the right kind of change let's do it Okay, so we've uh, we do have a special episode. It's our hundredth episode, so we're going to uh, as as many heroes as there are to recognize. We're going to skip our hero of the week. We're going to skip our reasons for hope because that will be part of of what we talk about. But um, I do want to talk about what we've learned in a hundred episodes of recording how we win. Yeah, this is a great idea. It's been a little over a year. Uh, that's a lot of, it's been, it's been no, more it's than been a year. Years. Yeah. It's been two years actually. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. It's been two years. Listen, it's been a crazy two years. <laughs> it um, really, really has. Oh my gosh. I love looking at, if I go to iTunes where you can subscribe and rate this very podcast that you're listening to. Well, nicely I, played there. <laughs> I'm, I'm seeing, I'm seeing 99 episodes and I'm just going to, well, I'm going to scroll through them and, and reminisce a little bit while you talk about what you've learned. Well, one thing that's, you know, like you said, so much has happened in the last couple of years. And I remember when we first started doing this, how upbeat and fun we were because we wanted this to be <laughs> inspiring and fun. And, uh, then, you know, 2020 happened and, and all of the heartbreak and strife and just you know, uncertainty became more somber. I'll say we didn't have the same lightness, but that's OK, because that's that's the time that we were chronicling. Um, I'll say I, I learned three things uh, that I want to talk about. One is what I was just saying is even in times of real darkness and real threat to our democracy, this community of activists, of grassroots leaders, of volunteers is full of joy. And mm -hmm. I think there really is something to doing this work 
that gives you a release from some of that anxiety because you're part of you're, you're doing it you're part of the action and um, and I've seen that from people who have been doing this work a long time I mean sure they've taken some hits and they're not always feeling great but it's just a, a community that's mostly full of joy and and commute and working together in this and that's been really powerful the other thing that I I learned very early on doing this podcast as a white guy, especially um, when I first started putting together interview talking points for our guests, um, I wanted to know what drove them into action mm-hmm. and uh, and what was the thing that really propelled them to get involved. And, uh, and I had to quickly check my privilege because I learned very quickly that for many people, it wasn't a point that drove them into action that made them feel like they had to get involved. They were fighting for their own lives and for the lives of their family from the very beginning. And that's something that I, I didn't have to do. That, that, that came quickly when I think uh, Emmy Goreka was our second interview who yeah. came from a, a, a family of immigrants. She had like 10 or 11 uh, brothers and sisters living uh, in Chicago and undocumented and uh, and drove to California with $20 and was always just advocating, you know, for her family. It's like, um, you know, like, oh, that's what drove you into action. Okay, I, I get it. You Life, know? yeah. Yeah. So, um, and then the last thing I'll say, uh, and this is my reason for hope for today, mm. too, is um, the resistance really has turned into the persistence. Yeah. Um, I saw so many people motivated by Trump and uh, and standing up against uh, fascism, the rise of fascism in our country. And now that Biden has been elected, I think we were all worried that some of that energy would go away, um, and yeah. it hasn't. You know, people are still motivated. They they still want to fight back against what the Republican Party has been doing or trying to do to our country, and that really gives me a lot of hope because we have a lot of work to do. Um, I mean, I, I couldn't have said it better. I I had the you know that I had the same thought that that was my biggest fear and the, the biggest rewarding piece of information that that we've gotten from yeah. people across the country over the the last years you know oh no people aren't going anywhere they weren't they weren't only here for because they hated trump they were here for because they were fighting for for something um better for our entire country um yeah you know a couple of other things i learned is um things that are new to me aren't new to everyone. That's been uh, really important in, in the interviews when there's information or a, a moment or a, a movement that I wasn't familiar with doesn't mean that the work hasn't been happening on it. Mm. And, um, and so I've been, I've become very, a lot more careful in the way that I ask questions. Um, that being said, a lot of stuff I don't know, I, that I know, not everybody knows. And so um, this has been a great opportunity to to share. Well, you know a lot because you're super what, smart. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this has been a great opportunity to share what the world looks like to me. Right. Um, and the last thing is, you know, what, I think that your insistence on asking that question, what gives you the most hope of not just our guests, but us, is that there is always something to be hopeful for. Um, 
And I just really hold on to that and, and have appreciated that, you know, as, as how we went as your brainchild, um, that that has been an anchor for the podcast and all the conversations we have. Nice. Yep, there is. There's always something to be hopeful for. And it's important that we celebrate that and lift, lift up the people that are making such a difference, you know, large or small in their communities or nationally, wherever. That's, that's what we want to do here. So, yay, 100 episodes. Do you have a favorite? I could go, I, I literally could just read 99. <laughs> I, I think we've had like maybe three repeats. So, like, you know. Yeah. Seven guests. That's true. They were. They were all. We listen. We've got a good team. We we've have got a, a good team. We have a great team, and you know what? Uh, we've had some great interviews with the Swing Left team too, and and the mm-hmm. uh, amazing activists and staffers who work oh, at Swing yeah. Left who have come to share their work, and and it makes me really excited to be able to represent Swing Left on this show. Um, and uh, and you and all of our listeners too, everyone who steps up to volunteer and make phone calls. I mean, how we win is pretty simple. It's we win when we all get involved. So, I bet we're the only podcast, political podcast, that actually, you know, has action items for people. I'm going to say it. You think we're the only ones? Uh, yeah, they all should. Please copy us. Let's get everyone into action. You know, so. You were segueing it, and I missed your segue. I was. You didn't know it. You did it. You were talking about action items that we do, and that was. Yeah, I, I did that on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> How many days did you say it was till uh, the Virginia election? Fifty-five, November second. November second, fifty-five days till the Virginia election. We know what's at stake because we see it in these GOP-led states all over the country. We also know that Virginia is a bellwether for what happens in the midterm. So, let's make sure we are getting involved in this final push. Just over a month uh, to do it. Make phone calls, write letters. Um, if you're in the area and want to canvas, there's some canvassing options too. So we'll put the link on swingleft.org slash podcast for you to sign up. Do it now. We're going to hear from Senator McClellan uh, again, uh, and that will inspire you to do it even more. And then if you are a California voter, make sure that you vote no uh, and then get your ballot in. And if you're not in California, I'm sure you know someone there that you can call, or uh, we have a phone bank list to call as well. That's right. This is our last week. That uh, election ends on Tuesday, so let's make sure we contact everyone we can. Uh, But first, before you do all that, or even while you're doing all that, let's hear this interview with Senator Jennifer McClellan. Senator Jennifer McClellan represents Virginia's 9th Senate District and has spent over 15 years as a legislator in the Commonwealth. Senator McClellan, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. 
we know how important Virginia is to our listeners and, and to the rest of the country. 55 days until the election, lots of work to do. But before we jump into to what folks can do to support Democrats in Virginia, we want to hear about your background. Um, you talk about being raised by community leaders and educators. When did you first get involved in politics and were your parents encouraging of it? So I first got interested and in paying attention when I was 11, um, oh. mainly out of I was a huge history nerd um, and and learning about, I saw a movie about John F. Kennedy and that sort of sparked my interest. And the more I talked to my parents who grew up during the depression and just about their life experiences, um, the more I came to realize government was a powerful force for change and it could either be a force for progress and solving problems like we saw um, during the New Deal, or it could be a force of oppression Mm. Uh, like we saw throughout most of my parents' lives. And I got active when I went to college. I joined the Young Democrats as soon as I got to college. There were four of us, so we all got in office. <laughs> uh, and uh, I've been small, involved ever Small since. but mighty group, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and my parents, you know, they were more active from a civil rights perspective. So my dad, my grandfather... Um, were very active in the NAACP um, and, and similar organizations um, through their fraternities. They were in different ones, ironically. Um, my mom, you know, it's funny when I, when I talked to her, she never voted until after the Voting Rights Act. But my dad, you know, I found earlier this year a copy of the, his poll tax receipt from wow. when from 1947. So, um, so that was their involvement. And then once I got active in party politics and, and elections, then they got active. Um, mm. And my dad actually ended up on his local electoral board. He was treasurer of the local Democratic committee. Wow. Uh, so I actually got them more into campaigns and, and um, electioneering. But they got me interested in, in sort of public policy and government. Interesting. Well, you've uh, you've been involved in in Virginia. You went to uh, school in Virginia and got your law degree in Virginia as well. We're watching as Republican-led states pass some of the most restrictive voting laws in the country since uh, the poll taxes that you were just talking about, uh, among other terribly oppressive laws. At the same time, we're seeing states like yours making it easier to vote. Uh, it, it couldn't be clearer how important it is to invest in state house races as we're literally watching the fabric of our democracy get shredded. So you've served during Republican control and now with the Democratic trifecta. So here is the softball of all softball questions. <laughs> Can you talk about the difference between serving in, in uh, both of those I like being in the majority much better. Um, <laughs> right. And I, from, from every perspective, I mean, the issues that I care about, the issues that I got interested in government for, you name the issue, we've made a lot of progress since we've been in the legislature from, you know, we voting rights, reproductive rights, worker rights, um, expanding access to health care, uh, criminal justice reform, uh, addressing climate change. We made, we made generational change in one year and mm -hmm. then in, in 2020, our first mm -hmm. year in the majority, and then um, piled onto that 
this past year. And m- unfortunately, most of it was straight party line vote. Um, and so we know exactly what's at stake. And, and these Republican bills across the country are not new. We saw the last wave of voter suppression laws and restrictions on access to abortion um, back in response to the election of Barack Obama. And mm-hmm. I fought against them then. I was able to help overturn them in the majority and am going to fight like hell to make sure we protect the progress we've made. Th- that is why this podcast and Swing Left have talked so much about um, Virginia politics. And, and I, I know that you have um, had a lot, a, a lot to say about the laws that are happening in other places, the restrictions that are happening in other places, and how that impacts people, not just there, but across the country. So incredible work that you're doing and continuing the, the drumbeat for those of us who live in Texas and and, <laughs> and places like like that, um, yeah, Mariah's in Texas, right? Yeah, now, I'm in so. Texas. Now. <laughs> um, so it, it's yeah. helpful. It, it, in all honesty, it hurts to be here right now, and it's helpful I'm to sure. see other people speaking up. So I appreciate that. Um, you ran for governor of Virginia. You had an incredible run. You came in third, and you're now supporting Terry McAuliffe, who won the primary. Can you talk about what it was like running for governor um, and and what you learned about McAuliffe during that campaign? The second part, I mean, you know, we, we had supported McAuliffe when he ran in 2013. I chaired his transition team. I worked well with him as governor. I thought he was a good governor. I thought it was time for a new generation of, of leadership. I thought mm-hmm. Virginia was ready for a woman um, yeah. and a black woman. Yeah. Um, but it was hard. <laughs> you know, I, I knew I was running for an office that was never built for me, mm. um, that there was no playbook for me. To the extent there ever was a playbook, it started to get shredded mm. when um, Donald Trump got elected to office and really changed the nature of campaigns. Mm. And then COVID set it on fire. Yeah. Um, so it was, and, and I knew that if Terry got in, it would be an uphill battle. But the only real chance I would have had was to really get out in communities and meet people in large numbers where they are. And COVID made that impossible. Mm. Um, And the fact that you had, you know, a lot of the establishment support went to him because he was a known factor. Right. And I think a lot of people were freaked out about COVID and the, and the, the recovery from that. Absolutely. Um, And the fact that you had, you know, two black women, both named Jennifer running uh, kind of made it hard too, but, I'm, I'm very proud that I ran a race that was true to who I am and my values, mm. that I was a voice that absolutely needed to be there on issues that were long ignored, many of which he's adopted. Um, and so I don't regret running. I wish it was not during COVID. <laughs> right. I think it would have been a little different. And I wish it was not against the former governor. But, um, you know, there's a time for everything. And this just wasn't my time. When... When you you say that the the playbook isn't it's not written for for someone like you, what how do how do we get past that? Because you would not have only been the first black woman governor of Virginia. You'd have been the first black woman governor anywhere. And yeah. so you know, everywhere the the playbook doesn't include us. So what what do we do about it? 
Well, I think there's a huge imagination gap. And, and some people, you know, sadly, even some Black women, um, but there are some people who just still don't see a woman mm-hmm. or a Black woman in an executive office. There mm-hmm. is research and polling and data that bears all that out. And I kind of ran headlong into that. Um, and I think we've got to do more than just pay lip service right. to we support women. I, right. the, I I think my biggest disappointment were the number of, of women elected officials or women-focused organizations who said, we support women, we support Black women, we're passionate about electing them. And then when I came calling, the response was, oh, uh, but I'm supporting Terry. And there was a wide variety of reasons for that. But I do think the the biggest reason was a fear factor. A black woman cannot win right now. Mm-hmm. And, and so we have, the biggest way to overcome that is to double down and support black women candidates and black women elected officials. Because frankly, we're doing the work. Right. And, you know, we can win. We just need people to believe in us. You you said that it wasn't uh, for all those reasons. Maybe it wasn't your time. Sounds like maybe your time will be coming, though. Do you think you would run again? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I still have the passion to serve. Um, I And I will serve wherever I can. I think I, I would be an excellent governor. Um, you know, Terry can't run again in, in 2025. So I'm definitely thinking about it. And in the meantime, I love the Senate. I'll continue uh, to work in the Senate and support candidates up and down the ballot. You live in Richmond, um, right? Is that correct? I got that from your website, but maybe you moved. I don't know. (laughs) Um, No, I'm still here. All right. So you're in Richmond. um, And tomorrow, uh, the 130-year-old statue of Robert E. Lee is being removed. It stands huge in the middle of a traffic circle on Richmond's Monument Avenue. Uh, you yeah. have said that you've spent your career dismantling the legacy of slavery and Jim Crow. What does this moment tomorrow mean to you? Um, I'm very excited. Um, I actually, I, I, am, I am literally around the corner. I live literally around the corner from that statue. Mm-hmm. I drive past it every day on my way to the Capitol. And I didn't realize how much mental and emotional energy I spent ignoring it until, Mm. and I always get emotional when I talk about this, but when I heard Governor Northam say a year ago, that statue's coming down, it, it was as if this weight I didn't even know I was carrying was lifted off my shoulders. Um, and I'm very, I mean, it's, it's history, but it's that statue has represented and triggered 400 years of pain and trauma for the Black community. And that, you know, that that is now going to be gone. So I'm excited. At the same time, that's only the first step because taking down a monument is all well and good. But if you're not at the same time continuing to take down the systemic results of slavery and white supremacy that are still there, 
than taking down that statue. Like that's the easy part. And I know it's been a year, so it doesn't sound like it's easy, but that's the easy part. Um, we're actually also building a monument. Um, I chair the state's uh, MLK commission and we are building a monument to emancipation and freedom that'll be finished and unveiled later this month that depicts um, a, a newly freed family. Oh, and wow. it depicts five African-American Virginians who fought against slavery and then five who fought for freedom and equality post-Civil War um, so that we can start to tell a more complete story of Virginia and America um, through through our public monuments. And it's it's a gorgeous statue that I'm that I'm very excited about. Oh, wow. I can't wait to see that. And um, what an in you know, people talk a lot about um, the imp- the historic importance of statues, and um, we we leave a whole lot of people out of the story when when that's how we recognize people and yeah. hold on to to the old ones. Um, so I'm really excited about this. Congratulations! This this sounds yeah. incredible. Thank you. Can't wait to see it. I'll have to visit Richmond and take a look. <laughs> Come on down. I'll show you around. <laughs> um, is it one artist who did yes. the entire thing? So it's Jay Warren. Uh, he's an artist out of Oregon. And uh, and we selected the people um, after several public hearings. And we, we purposefully selected people who were not already depicted in, mm-hmm. in statues or monuments to tell that important, but in many ways, unknown story. So we've got, you know, the first African-American man to earn a Medal of Freedom um, and the first African-American elected to Congress from Virginia. Wow. Um, it's it's very exciting. That's awesome. Um, from an outside Virginia perspective, the pendulum has been swinging back and forth so far in a very short period of time. I mean, not that long ago, everyone's eyes were on Charlottesville. And then, mm-hmm. um, you know, seeing what Northam has done because of Black leadership in the state, dismantling a lot of the things beyond beyond the statues uh, and things like that. Um, it must be a very exciting time to, to be in a leadership position there. It is. Um, and it's, I know it seems like it's all happened very fast, but it's it's been 20 years at least, in some mm-hmm. cases 50 in the making. Mm-hmm. Um, and the sort of unseen and unsung work yeah. of, frankly, a lot of Black women. Yeah. Um, you know, it was Ziana, Ziana Bryant, who as a high schooler started the process of taking down the statue in Charlottesville that led to Unite the Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's... It's this interesting feeling of relief that we're starting to see the results of that work, but also mm-hmm. an urgency of we've got more work to do. And that's mm-hmm. frankly why these elections are so important, because it can all be undone with the stroke of a pen if the election doesn't go the right way. Mm-hmm. When you see what just happened in Texas last week and in these other states, um, it just reinforces how important the state houses are and yeah. and uh, how crucial it is that we hold on to the Democratic majority in Virginia. Um, we'd like to finish up with the same question for all of our guests, so we'll ask it to you. What gives you the most hope right now? 
my kids. (laughs) (laughs) Um, my, my son is 11 and my daughter is six and, um, watching them even in the midst of all of the crazy trauma and fear and everything around 2020 that they are still excited and interested in starting, you know, my son is at the same age that I was when I got interested in government and politics and to hear them talk about like, Oh mommy, like, you know, they, they pay attention to the work I'm doing. They see the work I'm doing and they see the effect of it in their day to day life. Um, and it makes them want to get involved. And, and that, that's what gives me hope is that people can still in the midst of all the anger and chaos of the past year, get interested and excited about being involved in government. Uh, that is that's so exciting. So exciting. Yeah. Um, and I love that, that your son is, is the age that, that you were, uh, that must yeah. put so much meaning into your work. Yeah. And you know what? And they're all in for Terry too. It's like, you know, the other thing is it's been been sort of a good lesson for them, but you know, sometimes things don't work out the way you thought they would, but Mm -hmm. it's important that you just keep pushing and making progress. And so uh, we're all in for Terry. Well, and as you said, also, um, you know, the primary systems are great for at the very least pushing a candidate to adopt positions that maybe they wouldn't have been so strong on before. So, you know, I really appreciate the work that you did there to to make sure that he's pushing the positions that we need. So anyway. I digress, yeah. but um, it, it's been great having you on. This has uh, really Thank been a very you. timely and hopeful conversation um, talking about Virginia in the midst of all the horrible Republican-led states that um, are bringing us down right now. We're, we're excited to fight for Virginia and make sure that you all keep doing the great work you're doing there. So thank you so much. Thank you for everything you guys do and have a great day. for being with us today and for the last 100 episodes this is how we win we win when we all get involved and stay engaged we want to hear from you have you heard every episode are you one of those listeners which was your favorite one tweet to us at bluesboysteve and at mariah underscore craven or send us an email at podcast at swingleft.org Please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple or wherever you get your pods and let everyone know that you're listening. Share our show on social media. Check out our page at swingleft.org podcast. And of course, sign up to volunteer. We really appreciate you all being here with us. We'll be back with some more next Wednesday.